Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome John Gordon to the Philacrosophy podcast. John is a best-selling author and speaker. He runs a training and consultation company, and it's all about leadership, culture, sales, and teamwork. He's written such books as The Energy Bus, The Carpenter Training Camp, and many more. And he's worked with organizations like the LA Dodgers, the Miami Heat, the OKC Thunder, the Clemson football program, the Philadelphia Eagles, as well as corporations such as Southwest Airlines and Wells Fargo. And he played lacrosse at Cornell. John, so fired up to have you on the show. Hey, Jamie, great to be with you. Awesome to have you on. Um, Before we get started on some of the questions I have for you about the energy bus and some of these um, awesome uh, concepts and philosophies that you share, give us a little uh, rundown on your journey and how you uh, got to Cornell lacrosse and how it's impacted you um, through, through your journey in life. Yeah, Richie Moran definitely changed my life by recruiting me to play at Cornell. I was actually a football player, didn't even see the field my junior year. Seeing year, I had a, a breakout game, an amazing game in football, was in the papers and stuff. And I think Richie was, was reading the papers, looking for different players, always looking for recruits. He called up my coach, said, hey, is he a lacrosse player too? Because I'm recruiting athletes. And next thing you know, he recruited me to, to come there. I was going to play football at Yale or Lehigh, but I wound up going to Cornell to play lacrosse, the only school that recruited me for lacrosse. And the experience changed my life. You know, I showed up straight out of Long Island. I had the gold chain, the tank top, the Camaro. You know, I talked like this and really grew up in so many ways. Learned about culture, teamwork, that experience. We had Vince Angotti, who was a senior when I was there. Tony Morgan. We had, you know, Mike and Bobby Cummings and Johnny Heil. And, you know, all these these great leaders, Scotty Berman, all, all these great leaders that, um, you know, you learned a lot from growing up as a, as a young freshman, 
didn't see the field my freshman year, but I did travel as a freshman, which was pretty cool. And then I started as a sophomore. And unfortunately, though, we were the the first losing season Richie Moran ever had when I was a senior. So it did not leave a good legacy as a lacrosse player, but also learned a lot because we weren't a united team. And so that was a great experience years later now doing what I do with teams and organizations. I could actually take lessons from that time, but, but Richie was great. The experience was amazing. And Cornell lacrosse is just a part of, of, of who, who I am. And I, just love also the sport, like the sport changed my life. And so I'm a huge fan of the sport in general and always like to support it and promote it and, and let people know how amazing it is. Cause as we know, even though it's grown, a lot of people still don't understand how awesome it is. It is. It's just, uh, it's the creator's game. There's something about it that just uh, sucks you in and keeps you in for life. And really uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, quick question. You had, you, when we were speaking a couple months ago about this, potential of doing this podcast you told me about uh, a moment that was kind of a, a, a game changer in your life and in, 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 in a uh, an obstacle that you were faced with um do you mind sharing that was it the one when my wife almost left me or another one <laughs> it was the dot-com oh well that, yeah that's what happened so the dot-com i lost my job and didn't know how i was going to pay the bills two small children a wife who wasn't happy with me. I was being negative. I was miserable. I was blaming her for why my life was so bad. And so she said, you know what? I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. You need to change. And I did need to change. And so it was a wake up call for me, defining moment. And I turned that greatest challenge in my life. It became the catalyst for the greatest opportunity and assignment of my life. It's what led me to want to be more positive. It led me to start writing and speaking and doing this work. Initially, it was about getting more positive myself. And I started to share what I was doing. And I put that out in a newsletter. You know, early on, we had five subscribers, my mother, my brother, you know, roommate from college, Brian Hannafin, a few other people. They were getting the newsletter whether they liked it or not. And then people started sharing it, started to grow. And I got my first book deal from that newsletter. Someone started to read my newsletter and said, hey, you should do a book. So that culminated in really the career that I now have and it, but it all started and originated at that time as well. So, so that newsletter pretty much was the best thing I've ever done. And I initially started just to share information, just to help, just to, just to put out there, just to want to be of service, to make a difference. And that newsletter would go on to lead to so many different things because there was no blogs at the time. There wasn't social media. It was just this newsletter that was allowing me to communicate with people in a mass way. So Great experience, but also was tough to have to go through that difficult time. But my wife and I actually just wrote a book called Relationship Grit, came out a few months ago, and it's our story. It's our journey. It's our ups and downs. And we share advice for couples on how to stay together through adversity and challenges and how I changed. So it's our, it's our journey through our marriage. And we, we're very real in it. We talk about mistakes. We talk about things I did wrong, things I regret. So we're very honest about it. People have read it like, wow, I didn't really like you those first uh, couple of chapters, John, and you're not supposed to. But I'm like, just wait, wait till the end. Just read it till the end because, you know, that guy grows, he gets better, he matures, he becomes a better husband, a better father, and, and he changes. And that was the whole goal. I needed to show how bad I was, how negative I was, how down I was to show the transformation of, of what can happen because people can't connect to the guy you know, who's successful and is doing all these things, they need to understand like 
who I was and how I had to change because we all struggle. So if you are going through something, you can change for the better too. And that's the goal is to inspire people to change for the better. To inspire them and show them the way and also um, how to teach them probably how to change their thoughts. And I'm guessing that your, your blog at the time, your newsletter, because you were writing and thinking about it, it actually transformed you by the act of thinking that way. Yeah, I think you're right. I was thinking that way. I was walking, I was practicing gratitude. I was praying, I was getting insights and I'd come back and I would start writing. So I was thinking about it. I was writing about it. I was sharing it. I was living it. If I wrote about it, I had to do it. And so I didn't just write about it. I literally tried to do everything that I would write about. And that's the interesting thing. I always, you know, over the years writing these books, what I realized is I'm the person trying to live up to the guy who writes those books because I'm at my best when I'm writing those books. I'm at my clearest, I'm in the zone. Spiritually, I'm like, you know, flowing. God's giving me the words. It's, it's an incredible spiritual experience. And I'm like vibrating at a higher level when I'm writing those books. And so how do I then live that way when I'm not writing those books? So yeah. I feel like I'm the guy trying to live up to the person who writes those books and the characters in those books and how they change and how they transform. But yes, mindset, thinking about it. But I do that every day. Like I would do this if I wasn't getting paid. Like this is my life's mission and calling. So I'm always reading. I'm always thinking. I'm always writing notes. I'm always writing tweets. I've got about a hundred saved tweets in my you know drafts of, of just thoughts. And so I'm always thinking about things and then sharing it. So it's almost like a leadership factory where I'm learning, I'm growing. I get to work with a lot of great, great coaches and leaders in the world. So the more I've done that, as I get to work with them and speak and talk to them, I then learn from them as I'm there to share with their organizations. I'm now learning from them. So it's this incredible give and take that's making me a better person. And teaching is ultimately the greatest way to learn in so many ways. Yeah, we teach what we, we teach what we need to learn. And I would say I'm a teacher of positive leadership. Amazing. Um, I uh, ordered 50 plus of your energy bus books to give them to my, um, my JM3 athletes and um, they love it. Um, and and I, I listed out the 10 rules of the energy bus. And I, I wanted to ask a couple of questions because I thought there were some obviously amazing amazing um, topics in there. And, and, and one of them seems obvious, you're the driver, but sometimes in a relationship, you, you may be a co-driver. How do you manage the, I'm the driver, but I also have somebody that I have to work with? Well, first and foremost, you are the driver of your bus, of your life. Right. That means you have to own it. You have to own your life. Stop blaming others. Stop complaining. Take responsibility and be accountable to yourself for your life. So that's what it means. Now, when you're working with someone else, if you're a co-driver, you're a co-coach, a co-leader, my wife and I, were a team trying to raise these kids, right? So when you're doing that, yeah, you gotta, you gotta communicate. You gotta make sure you connect. You gotta commit. You gotta show you care. I call those the four C's. You've gotta embody those principles from what I wrote about in the power of a positive team and relationship grit, those four C's to be a strong team that then leads your people. Teams that are not connected at the top will crumble at the bottom. So when you're co-leading, you have to make sure you're working together, that you're a united connected team, that you're communicating. So that way you can better make 
decisions for the organization for others. So yeah, it's essential to, to make sure that, that you're not the only driver. You have to collaborate. Right. Collaborative leadership is a, is a main, is a big term that you're going to be start. You're going to start hearing more and more because, because great leaders are collaborative leaders and they get buy-in from their teams. They don't dictate their asking to weigh in. And so they build consensus with their leadership teams to better lead the organization. There's a lot of assistant coaches and a lot of players that are uh, and parents that are part of a team by virtue of their role. And you're the driver of your life, of your role. And oftentimes your role will be to follow as well. Yes. So it's not always leading. It's also following. And sometimes we have to learn to follow. If you're not good at following, you have to learn to be a follower but being a good follower also makes you a better leader. There are times and in situations where I'm not the leader. At home, I often say I'm second in command at home. So I'm not necessarily the main leader. My wife will want to do something. All right, honey. So I think that's a give and take of leadership is learning when to lead, when to follow, and right. when to work with your peers to lead together. For sure. I think following is, is an underrated part of leadership. Um, I think you're right. I, I, I know that... Um, I know that Chick-fil-A is really big into followership as well as leadership. Interesting. Um, desire, vision, focus moves the bus in the right direction. Um, can you talk a little bit about the vision piece? Um, because it's, I think so many people, um, they, they, have, they kind of know where they want to go, but they don't necessarily really dream about it. And, and it almost holds them back to what they could be. For me, it's about having a vision of where you want to go. It's being open to what that vision is. It's believing that anything is possible. So it's not just about vision, it's about belief. Mm. So you have the vision, but don't poo-poo it. Don't say it's not possible. Because when you do, you cut off the flow of the plan and the purpose that's meant for you. I really do believe God gives us impulses. He gives us ideas. We get hits of what we should be doing. And what happens is we don't believe we're worthy or we don't believe it's possible. We don't trust in the creator of the universe that creator has a plan for us. And so we don't trust and we don't feel worthy. And because of that, we actually cut off the flow of what God wants to do in our lives. Your job is not to question it. Your job is to say, hey, anything's possible. If I have this vision, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to work towards it. And if I don't achieve it, if it doesn't happen, then that, that means there's probably something else for me right. or there's something that I need to learn on this path of that I'm going on. For instance, I ran for city council. I went for it. I lost the election. I was 26 years old, walked to 7,000 houses door to door and just went for it. Thought I was going to win. I lost. They attacked me at the last week and Man, they came after me hard because I was winning in the polls. I went door to door. They're like, who's this new guy, this young guy? And man, I saw the machine operate and how they can actually bring someone down firsthand. Like what we see in politics now, I saw it firsthand in my own life. The lies they made up. I had no baggage. I was 26 years old and they made it seem like I was the worst person in the world. It was crazy. But, but I lost. And then after that, I was like, okay, I went for it. What do I want now? What is my purpose? And I didn't know. I, I literally was devastated. And then several years later, I would find my purpose as a writer and speaker. And if I would have won the election, I would not have become a writer and speaker. Sometimes you have to lose a goal to find your destiny. 
And so your job is just to go for it. And if it's meant to be, it will happen. You'll start to get hits and signs along the way that you're on the right path. Sometimes that includes adversity and rejection. Just because you face adversity and rejection doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. A lot of times it means you're on the right path, but you go for it and then you open the possibilities of what can happen. So to me, it's about planting the seeds and like God producing the harvest. And how important is it, you know, you mentioned the word desire along with vision and focus. Just, is the desire sort of your why and the passion as to why you, you, you can push through adversity and why you're doing this every day? You, you mentioned you'd be doing this job even if you weren't getting paid for it. Um, that's a pretty strong desire. Yeah, purpose is greater than our challenges. Our vision is greater than our circumstances. Our desire comes from the purpose and the passion that we have. We don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because we forget why we do it. So you remember your why, you have your purpose. That fuels your desire to go after it. So I believe we're given a desire to go after things. We have this desire because there's something we want to create. There's something we want to do. And so be honest about that desire, accept that desire, welcome it, and then go for it. Don't allow fear to keep you from these desires of what you want to create and what you want to build. A lot of times people will come to me and they'll be like, Hey, you know, I, I'm interested in writing and speaking and I want to do this. I want to do that. And I tell them, you wouldn't have this desire if you weren't meant to do something in it. And it may not mean you do what I do and to the extent I do it. But if you feel like you're meant to write a book and you have a desire to write a book, then, then write the book. doesn't mean it's going to be a bestseller, but it may be one. So go do it. When I wrote the energy bus, I'd have a publisher. I wrote the book in three and a half weeks of divine inspiration, wrote the book, had this book and said, okay, now I'm going to take it around and see what happens. Had a desire, didn't know what was going to happen from it. That book has now sold over two and a half million copies, Amazing. thankfully. But initially it just started as a desire, me and a computer sitting there and writing down with the first rule. And then the second rule, didn't even know the 10 rules, but I had a desire and I did it. So I always tell people, you have this desire because there's something you're meant to do. Mm. And if you didn't have, you wouldn't have the desire if we weren't meant to do it. We all want a purpose and all seek a, our purpose. Why? Because there's meant, you're meant, sorry, you're meant to have a purpose. Like there is a purpose that you're meant to live and share. Or otherwise you wouldn't be searching for one. It would be futile to search for a purpose if there wasn't one to be found. So you search, you seek because there is a purpose for your life. And everybody has a purpose and everybody has this opportunity to do something that, that, that motivates them and that inspires them. And the fear of it won't work out or I can't do it, you know, is usually what gets in people's way, but really it's just kind of a take, put one, one foot in front of the other type of thing. Yeah. I heard it said that fear is the second most powerful force in the universe. It's the one thing that can keep you from your destiny but love is the most powerful force and love moves you toward your destiny. And so love is greater than fear. So you have to focus on the love that you have of what you're doing. And if you don't love it, you'll never be great at it. So love it, love the moment, love the opportunity, love the process, love the opportunity to make an impact on people's lives. When I was writing The Carpenter, I was so full of fear because I had written the energy bus and training camp and they were doing well and people were really loving them. And I thought, I'm going to write a piece of junk. People are going to say my best work was behind me. Mm -hmm. 
And so I was so full of fear that I couldn't write. Never had writer's block before, but I was gripped by it. I woke up one morning with this insight that love casts out fear. And if I just focus on the love of writing and the love of the reader, and I love the process, I will love what the process produces. And that drove me to write the book, wrote it in two and a half weeks after that was incredible. Amazing. Incredible experience. And then after that, wove that fear into the story of the main character who's trying to build something great. He's trying to build greatness. It's the carpenter, build greatness. And he learns that anything that you try to build with fear will crumble, that which you build with love will endure. And so I always tell people, just focus on the love of it. You're going out for a game to play, just love the game, love the opportunity to compete. Just love it. Don't worry about the outcome. Stop letting fear keep you from who you're meant to be and what you're meant to become. Let go of the fear and focus on the love of your teammates, the love of playing, the love of competing. And that's it. And if you do that, the outcome will take care of itself. It's the best mental health performance strategy of all is just to love it. Truly. You talk about fuel with positive energy. Pretty obvious that you want to be positive, but it's easier said than done. Um, how do you produce this positive energy when you're, when, when all of a sudden you're afraid of something and there's something on your mind, someone's coming at you, uh, you might've screwed up, um, you make mistakes, uh, things aren't going well. How do you keep that positive energy? Yeah. When we talk about positivity. This is not like, Hey, just be positive. Just be positive. Yeah. This is not about seeing the world through rose colored glasses. It's knowing that you have the power to overcome the thorns. It's not about ignoring reality because right now is a difficult time. It's about maintaining optimism, belief, and faith in order to create a better reality. It's knowing that your mindset, what you believe will determine what you create. Let me say it again. What you believe will determine what you create. Obviously, you have to take action, but you first have to believe it. When Dabo Sweeney got the job at Clemson, I've worked with Clemson for over nine years now, and he got the job. He brought in a sign, well, actually two signs. One, believe. The other, I can't with the T crossed out because he knew that Clemson often lacked belief. It's why they would always lose close games. It was a term called Clemsoning. It happened so often. And so he had to change the belief of his team to create the results of his team. So belief is essential. And it's knowing that there will be adversity. There'll be challenges. We will have negative thoughts come our way. We will deal with fear but we overcome it by our optimism, our belief, and our positivity. So being positive doesn't guarantee you'll succeed, but being negative will guarantee that you won't. Mm -hmm. And also we have to understand that our negative thoughts do not come from us. I ask athletes all the time, your negative thoughts come from you. And they say, oh yeah, of course, it's in my head. So my next question is this, really? Who would ever choose to have a negative thought? Would you choose a negative thought? And they're like, no, I wouldn't. So where's it coming from? This blows people's mind. Comes from consciousness. No one has ever found a thought inside of your brain. The brain is the hardware. It's where activation happens. There's this internet cloud of consciousness. We're always downloading thoughts. When you're dreaming or having a nightmare, are you choosing the nightmare? Are you choosing the thoughts? No. And so you're driving down the road and a thought comes in. Did you choose it? You're in the shower. You get a great idea. Did you choose it? No. The thoughts are always coming in and negative thoughts are always coming in and fear is coming in saying, you don't have what it takes today. You're not going to play well. The future is hopeless. It's going to be like this for a long time. You'll never find another girlfriend. Whatever it may be, you'll, you'll have these thoughts that come in, right? And you did not choose them. And there's so much power and freedom in understanding that and recognizing this. 
The key is not to believe the lies that they tell and don't reinforce them and stop feeling guilty and shameful for, for having them. Stop beating yourself up, which a lot of young athletes do. What you want to do, speak truth to the lies, speak words of encouragement. And so the negative thought comes in, boom, not going to listen. And I'm going to speak words of encouragement. You got this. You were born to do something great. You're not meant to be average. You're here for a reason. There's a plan for you. The future is full of hope. And you start to speak truth. And the more you do that, you walk in that truth, you walk in that power. And so I've taught this to a lot of professional and college athletes and they really get it. I wrote about this in my book, The Garden, which has really resonated with a lot of people. And so understand this is where the power is. This is real positivity. Knowing it's a battle of the mind between the negative and the positive. We got to weed the negative, feed the positive, the garden of your mind. The more you do that, weed the negative, feed the positive. Garden starts to look a whole lot better. Do it for a week, a month, a year, seven years, a lifetime. You create a magnificent garden by feeding and weeding. And that's the metaphor I use. People get it, create a ritual around it. Each morning you get up, feed the positive. Rise and shine instead of rise and wine. And the more you do that, you create a more positive life. I've had to do that. So I've lived it. And yeah. I literally rewired my brain from negative to positive. I've, in, I've really infused my spirit, my soul with a different kind of energy that has changed everything. The word psyche, by the way, um, sorry, the word soul means psyche. And so soul and psyche are one and the same. Psyche has been hijacked by the psychology community to mean, mean brain, thinking of the circuitry and the neuroscience when really it's meant to be soul. And so there's the power of the soul that drives the processes of the brain. Wow. Um, how about this? This one, don't waste energy on those who don't get on the bus. Um, I feel like that is, uh, that's a, it's another kind of what makes perfect sense. Seems obvious, except it's, again, all these things are easier said than done because all of a sudden there's somebody, you know, you know, basically chipping away at what you're doing on the outside and it just bothers you. And it's like, there's people coming at you. A lot of coaches on this and you're going to have parents that are not going to, or, or, or media that are just, pounding on you. How do you separate yourself from that? My favorite quote is from Gandhi. He said, he said, I will not let anyone walk through my mind with their dirty feet. Social media. I will not let anyone walk through my mind with their dirty tweets. So I'm not <laughs> going to allow anyone's negativity to affect me. That who I am is more powerful than what you say about me. And I'm not here on earth for someone else to define me. I'm here for the creator, the creator's game to refine me to be all that I'm meant to be, not because someone says this about me. And so it's really about understanding why you're here, what you're here to do, and know that the power inside you is greater than all the forces outside and against you. And you have to be aware of that. So I'm not gonna let anyone who's negative get on my bus, and I'm not gonna waste my energy on those who don't get on my bus. All right, you don't wanna get on. You don't share my vision. You don't see where I'm going. Your positive energy must be greater than their negativity. It's that simple. When I wrote the energy bus, rejected by 30 publishers, told to give up. Send out emails to all these companies and organizations. Hey, I'd love to come speak to your team and organization. Rejection, rejection, or no answer, right? I didn't waste my energy on those who didn't get on my bus. I just kept on asking more and more people to get on. And by doing that, I've created a, a bus that's expanding. And now more and more people want to get on the bus, but initially no one wanted to get on. So I had to live my own principles. I went on a 28 city tour when I first wrote the book, first came out. 
-hmm. Finally, John Waller and Sons agreed to publish it. No bookstores would carry it. Five people in one city, 10 people in another, 20 in another. The most people we had were 100 people in Des Moines, Iowa. They thought Jeff Gordon was coming, the race car driver. <laughs> Got home, didn't know what my future held, but I knew I just had to live the vision every day. Here it was, to encourage and inspire millions of people one person at a time. So even those five people who came to see me at that one event, and I'm telling you, it was only five, I encouraged them. And so Jim Van Allen came with me on that tour. He was a college intern who wanted to be a speaker, emailed me. I'm like, hey, I'm going to the store. You want to come? He came. He drove the bus when I got sick in Nebraska and Kansas. Well, Jim Van Allen became a professor, has his PhD, did his thesis on the energy bus, and now he leads our Positive Schools and Energy Bus for Schools program. Really cool. But we laugh about that early, those early days when we were going around the country, you know, sharing this message. And no one, he's like, John, no, I remember he laughs because he's like, you know, he's like, I remember when no one wanted to get on the bus. And that's the thing. You got to have the vision of where you're going. Yeah. The purpose of why you're going there. And then you have to be more positive than the negativity you face. And it doesn't mean you don't learn from people. It doesn't mean you don't get, you know, you don't take constructive criticism. Criticism, how can I get better? We all want to get better. We need improvement. You know, self, we need to improve. We need to hear people's strategies of what we can do better. But we don't allow their negative opinion to keep us from our purpose and our destiny. Right. And try not to judge yourself too hard because you, it's kind of, it is what it is. You, you know, if you made a mistake, but rather than judging it, you can just be aware of it so that you can then move on. And that's probably part of the techniques of. Yeah. In the, in the, in the game of lacrosse, you, you mess up next play, you know, next play mentality, right? Got it. Look forward, not backward because the mistake you made was in the past. So why would you want to go back to the mistake and the mindset that you had that actually led to that failure. Right. You have a new mindset, a new approach, and look forward to create a new opportunity and create a solution, not a problem. So you want to go forward. So it's always about looking forward, believing that the best is yet to come, no matter what happens in the past. Again, why would you go back and allow yourself to be sabotaged? Here's why. Because you're being defined by the past moment. And you're thinking that moment defines you. You have to understand it's just a moment. It's just a mistake. It has no, no identity of who you are. And so you move forward to create your next play, next opportunity, next moment, creating your life one moment at a time. Amazing. Um, I want to finish up with uh, your advice to the coaches and parents that are on this they're listening to this podcast of if they want to really dive into the culture of their, of their lives, of their, of their programs, of their families or their businesses, what, what you know, obviously the energy boss is a, is a great start. It was for you. What are some of the other books that you would recommend? For coaches, I would say read the power of positive leadership. Definitely as a leader, I've had a lot of coaches read that, share a lot of stories, you know, Dabo Sweeney, Sean McVay, Dave Roberts, Eric Spolstra, Nick Nurse, different coaches that had the opportunity to work with. So definitely read The Power of Positive Leadership. The Power of a Positive Team is also a great read on what makes great teams great and building a great team. So I would recommend those two. The Hard Hat, which is you know about George Boyardi, all yep. the proceeds go to his foundation. And so that's a, a really great book on being a great teammate. And it's been really cool to get a lot of feedback from people who have used that book and read that book and been encouraged by it. Awesome. John Gordon, thank you so much for coming on this podcast and sharing your uh, thoughts, your wisdoms, your experiences, and your stories. Hey, Jamie, I appreciate it. Appreciate you and the work that you do and all your knowledge and wisdom that you've accumulated over the years and the way you think outside the box. I love it. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, John. Take care.